Welcome to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. I'm Robbie. I hope you've listened to and enjoyed last week's episode, and if you have, I'm so glad you came back for another episode. I have a Patreon account that I've set up so you can get cool perks like bonus blog posts and early access to every podcast episode on Tuesdays instead of Thursdays, and you can find the link to that in the description of this podcast. I also have a new Twitter account, at BSFHeathenKids. No spaces or underscores or anything. So there's a couple ways you or your parents can get in touch with me. If you have any questions or comments or suggestions or fan art, I would really love to get fan art. I love seeing what people draw. Today, I'm going to tell a story that I heard more than I heard any other story from the Bible. Before I get to that story, I want to let you know that the characters in the story do believe in a god. They often call this god the Lord, which means something like master or ruler, and it's a term of respect. I assume if you listen to this, you might not believe in God, or you might not believe in God the way that a lot of people think you're supposed to. If you're like my kids, this might be a sensitive subject for you. Perhaps you've been told that you need to believe in God or Jesus to be a good person, or that you deserve bad things to happen to you if you don't believe, or if you don't believe the right things. My kids even had one friend that insisted our family was all litterers, and any trash they saw on the ground around school was thrown there by people like us who don't go to church. As ridiculous as it is, it still kind of hurt their feelings, and it's really not the worst things of what they were told or what I was told about people who didn't believe in God. Although I did believe in God when I was a kid because I didn't really have any other options. Anyway, after a lot of mean comments about not going to church, it upset my kids to hear about God for a while. But I'm going to be telling stories from the Bible, and the stories will generally include God and people who believe in God, and sometimes people who get in trouble for disobeying God. I see God as a character in a lot of these stories. I definitely don't think any of us deserve bad things to happen to us because we don't believe in God. So I hope you can listen to these stories like any other stories, like the story about Hercules or Thor, who is a Norse god, or Superman, and maybe you can enjoy them and maybe understand some part of the culture that's new to you. All right, I hope that prepares you and maybe makes you feel a little better if you are worried. Now for the story. You've maybe heard of an underdog. I always liked underdog sports movies when I was a kid. Like there was a soccer one about this team called the Big Green. And uh, they weren't supposed to be able to win anything. They They didn't have very many good soccer players. And they had girls. Gasp. Horrors. None of the other team had girls. That's probably why I liked this so much. Anyway, I really like that. People throughout history, I think, has, have really loved underdog stories where someone who is small or young or not expected to be able to win goes on to win this battle or fight or football game despite really impossible odds. So David and Goliath was my introduction to the underdog story. It's the first one I ever heard of. It's not the first one that's ever been written, but, but I think it's one of the more popular underdog stories from ancient times. So, without further ado, once upon a time, in the Middle East, there was a nation of people called Israel, and the Bible says they were specially chosen by God to obey and follow God, and in return, God was supposed to protect them. In this story, there was a new king in Israel, the first king, and that's another story, and I'll tell that one next week, actually. At the beginning of this story, David, who the story is named after, was not much of anything yet. There was a prophet, Samuel, and God talked to him a lot. He's an old man by now, but this all started when Samuel was older. First, let me tell you what a prophet is. A prophet is someone who speaks for God. 
Sometimes they tell the future. Sometimes they'll give a message of what God wants or even just a moral message like, this is the way you should behave. This is how you should treat your neighbor. A lot of religions have prophets. Sometimes, like I said, prophets will tell the, tr- the future. But in the Bible, there are strict rules about that. So if you said something was going to happen in the future and it didn't happen or the opposite happened, they could put you to death for being a false prophet because they took it really seriously because a prophet's supposed to give the message from God because God doesn't talk to just anybody in these in these stories. So, you know, how are they supposed to know if they're supposed to do what you say? Like you say, God said to do that, and then you don't do it. Well, maybe you'll be in trouble. But you want to know that the prophet's actually talking for God. That's why they took it so seriously if someone prophesied about the future and got it wrong. So in this story, God talks to Samuel in a voice only Samuel could hear. And that started when he was a kid. It was really confusing for him when he was a child and he was woken up by this voice in the middle of the night calling his name, Samuel, Samuel. And he thinks like it's the old man that he lives with. So he'd go to wake up the old man and the old man would be like, I did not call you. Go back to bed. And then it would happen again. Samuel, Samuel. Hey, hey, did you need me? Did you need me? No, I didn't need you. Go back to bed. This happened over and over. I think over the course of several nights until finally the old man is like, Samuel, it's it's God. Just say, I'm here. What do you want? And stop waking me up in the middle of the night. So from then on, God talked to Samuel. And then at one point, the people ask for a king. Samuel makes Saul the king. And then later, God's like, I don't want Saul to be the king anymore. So anyway, God tells Samuel to visit this guy named Jesse, who's got a lot of sons. Because it's got to be a son, you know, to be the new king. Women don't get a whole lot of airtime in the Bible or in most other ancient stories. So God, through Samuel, is going to pick a new king to eventually replace Saul. So Samuel goes to meet with Jesse for this special thing called a sacrifice. They do it on special days, kind of like a holiday, I guess. And uh, Jesse's supposed to bring all his sons. So Samuel meets the first son and he's like, whoa, this guy is strong and attractive because men in the Bible are always noticing how attractive other men are. It's very sweet and affirming. But God's like, I'm looking at the heart, not how beautiful he is, which I understand, I guess. So they go through this. They, they meet, he meets the next younger brother and he's like, oh, this one, he looks good. He looks pretty handsome, tall, buff. He'd be a good king. I can see him leading an army. God's like, no, not this one. The next one. This one's almost as handsome. No, not this one. So he goes through all the brothers, and there's none. There's none left. See, that's, that's, that's all the men there. And he's like, um, God, we were going to pick a king, and that was all of them. And then he's like, uh, Jesse, are you sure this was all your sons? I mean, I know you have a lot. Maybe you were confused. Jesse's like, oh, I actually do. I have one more son. He's just like, he's like really young. He's like young. He's kind of annoying. And he's, he's busy because I have sheep. He's got he's to take care of my sheep. He couldn't come. Samuel's like, well, bring him here. Bring him here. Let me see. And Samuel's like, God, is it this one? And God's like, it is this one. David, I choose you. Like he's a Pokemon or something. And Samuel's like, why didn't you just say in the first place that it was going to be David? Since you're talking to me, you could have just said, pick David. Actually, Samuel didn't say that because like that would be disrespectful, I guess. Anyway, that's what I would have said. But Samuel's just relieved. This is great. Now I can make another king. So he does this ritual called anointing where he puts oil on David's head. And I don't really know. Is it like, does he like dump an entire bottle on his head and it's like an oil shower? That would be a real pain to get out of his hair later. 
Um, or maybe it was just like a tiny bit on his forehead. But it's a special ceremony. And, and once he does that, it's sort of like magic. And the spirit of the Lord is with David. I don't really know how to explain what that meant as a kid, that the spirit of the Lord was with him. Perhaps you could say it meant God was watching over him. Or even that God was going to adjust things so that they'd go David's way. Like people believed that if you were drawing straws, you know, to select something, God had control over who'd get the short straw. Or if you flipped a coin, God would have control over that. Or if you wanted to intimidate your enemies, God would be able to make it be effective and scary to them. Like God sort of just gives you a luck boost or an intimidation buff or a charisma buff or something. So it, it could be hard to tell. Like if David is fighting the wolves that are attacking his sheep, is he just really good at fighting? Or is God with him making him fight better and making the wolves fight less good? You don't really know. Sometimes the characters in these stories do really obvious miracles, like they're walking on water or they bring someone back from the dead. There's like a lot of stories about people who come back from the dead, but sometimes it's more subtle, like your plan works or you fight someone and you win and you don't know, would you have won without help? It's like a, it's like a good luck charm or performing a good luck ritual. And say you wear your favorite lucky socks and then the angels win the baseball game and you don't know, was it because you wore your lucky socks or were they going to win anyway? I don't know. You better wear your lucky socks every game for the rest of your life just in case it influences it. So that's kind of, I think it was a little like that. So in this case, the Lord was with him basically meant he was supposed to be extra special and most things he tried he would succeed at because he was chosen by God. He was chosen by God to be the next king, but the king part's a long way off. For now, he's just still taking care of sheep and then... um. And Samuel just leaves. So that's got to be anticlimactic. You're going to be king. Yay. Okay, now go take care of the sheep. Okay, whatever. So meanwhile, there still is a king. And he, he's Saul, as I mentioned. The Lord was with him. And then they basically broke up. And now the Lord's not with him. And instead, the Lord has sent an evil spirit to torment him. It's, it's interesting to me because I was taught that God's good like, God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. That's a thing you say in church. But this story includes God sending an evil spirit. Like, like it's God sending the evil spirit to torment King Saul. Anyway, the, the symptoms, though, seem kind of like some kind of mental illness. He's, he gets paranoid. He gets angry. He's really, really gloomy. He's really disturbed. And uh, they don't know what to do to help him, all the people around him. And then somebody tells him about David. They don't say, there's David, he's going to be the next king. They say, there's David, the son of Jesse. He's supposed to be really good at playing the lyre, which is a stringed instrument, kind of like a harp. They say, he's good at playing the lyre and the Lord is with him. I think he knows the Lord's not with him anymore, but he's, he's okay with that. He's like, I can work with this. So he meets David and he hears David play the music on the lyre. And it's beautiful and it makes him like he's suddenly free from the evil spirit. He feels really peaceful. Finally, you know, for the first time in maybe a long time. And Saul tells David's dad, Jesse, that David's going to stay with him some of the time so that he can be his armor bearer and so he can play music. So Saul makes David his armor bearer slash personal musician and evil spirit banisher. And really great, exciting times in David's life are coming up for him, but I'm not sure he knows that yet. And then there are some not so great times for Israel coming up. You see the Philistines... They're another nation who lived around there. They decide to go to war with Israel. Well, 
actually they're sort of already at war. There's like there's constant fighting, but they've started a new kind of phase of the war and they're camped out on this hill. And the Israelites are camped out on on the other hill. So they're on these two hills and there's a valley between them and they just they kind of line up and they just wait. They're not really doing much of anything. They've got their tents, they've got their food, they've got their supplies. Maybe they got their armor on and they're just standing on these hills. So then out from the Philistine camp, there comes this man. He's huge. He's a giant. Some translations will say he's like nine feet tall. My husband said he was taught that he was 10 feet tall. But then the translation I said said like seven feet tall. So nobody really agrees, but basically he was really super tall. Like even nowadays, people used to be shorter than they are now. They've, we've gotten gradually taller over time. But even nowadays, seven feet would be really tall. And back then it was super tall because your average man would be about 5'5", five five, which is actually a little shorter than I am. And so most of the men in the Israelite camp are like going to make eye contact with like his rib cage or something because he's super tall and they're just average sized. And he's got this, this huge armor on and he looks big and scary. And he has this normal sized guy that's carrying his armor. He's got the shield. This, you know, imagine a shield for a giant being carried by a normal sized guy. He's kind of, he's kind of staggering around like, oh, this is heavy. He just marches out. He's, he looks mean and he looks purposeful. And everyone just starts kind of like, what's happening right now? And he calls out and he makes an offer to the Israelites. He says, you send out a fighter. And if he kills me, we'll serve you. And if I kill him, and you got to know what Goliath was expecting here. If I kill him, you have to serve us. And he's like a giant and they don't have a giant. So they don't think this sounds like a good deal. And they're, they're terrified. So no one answers. And for 40 days, two times a day, every single day, he comes out and he makes this challenge. He comes every morning and he comes every evening and he says the same thing. That they can send out a fighter and if he kills me, we'll serve you. And if I kill him, you serve us. He's like a rooster, but even more cocky and a lot bigger and a lot more dangerous. So for 40 days... Every man in Israel, every man in the army is running and shivering and hiding in fear. Well, that's where David comes into the story. I'm, I'm sure you've been waiting for him to come back up again. He wasn't in the army. He's just like a teenager and he's pretty busy. He's got to be Saul's armor bearer and Saul's musical therapist. And he's got to take care of his dad's sheep still. So one day he goes to his dad to have his turn taking care of the sheep. And his dad is like, three of your brothers are in the army. So you need to take these supplies. So he takes the supplies to the camp and he sees when Goliath comes out and makes the challenge and he sees all the men, probably including his brothers, they all run in fear and he's really horrified that everyone's just running away from this giant while this giant acts like they're all cowards. And he sees that no one is taking the challenge and he asks the nearest guy, whoever takes this challenge, if he wins, what reward is he going to get? And they tell him what everyone there has already heard by now, that whoever will fight Goliath will be really rich and he'll get to marry the king's daughter and he won't even have to pay taxes on all that money he'll have. But you might have heard Han Solo in Star Wars say, what good is a reward if you ain't around to use it? And that is probably why no one takes the king up on this offer. 
And then David's big brother hears David asking about this reward and he gets mad. He says, wow, you're really full of yourself asking about a reward. What are you going to do fight Goliath? And why are you even here? Are you hoping to have some fun watching us fight for entertainment? What's wrong with you, creep? And David's like, seriously, what the heck did I do this time? Am I not even allowed to talk to people anymore? But some other people were also listening to this conversation, and they told King Saul that the young man David was asking about fighting Goliath. So he called David to talk to him. And David just says up front, King, you don't have to worry about this guy anymore. I, your loyal servant David, will fight him. And Saul is like, "Uh uh-huh. Do you do remember that Goliath is huge and like middle-aged? He's been fighting since he was your age. And you're still a teenager and you don't have any training. And David's like, me, have no training. I've been taking care of sheep since I was like a baby. I have fought bears threatening my sheep. I've grabbed a bear by the fur and killed it. I have snatched a lamb out of the mouth of a lion. And then I killed the lion because the Lord was with me. And this Philistine is going to be just like that lion and just like that bear. Because the Lord's going to be with me now. And Saul's like, okay, you can give it a try. But first Saul's like, let's get you some armor. My armor, why don't you wear my armor? But Saul's actually, he's not tall like Goliath, but he's taller than most people. And David is not big enough for this armor. He's not used to wearing it. It's kind of heavy. So he's like, nope, I'm not going to wear your armor. I'm just going to wear my normal clothes. So he's got like a tunic and he goes to the river and he picks out some smooth stones, some, you know, some little rocks that you might want to skip very aerodynamic because they're smooth. And he's got a slingshot, and a slingshot's a weapon that you can use to sling small rocks into the air. It wouldn't have been the stretchy kind. It would have, like, been made of cloth or leather with kind of a little pouch in the middle, and you hold both sides of the leather, and you spin it around, and then you let go of one side, and the rock goes flying into the air. And that's about how it works. So that's what he's got. He's got a tunic, he's got sandals, he's got a shepherd's staff, because he's a shepherd, he's got a little bag on his belt, and it's got five rocks in it, and he's got a slingshot. And then there's Goliath standing there in his full armor. He's tall, he's scary, he's beefy, he's this big heckin' chonker, he's this beefy boy. And he sees this boy coming up to challenge him, and the boy doesn't even have a sword, and he's mad, he's like, he's insulted, he's like, wow, you've got a stick. Are you going to come at me like I'm a dog and you're going to hit me with a stick? I will feed you to the birds. It's not even going to be like a very good snack for them. And the Philistines are all watching behind him and they're like laughing because there's this teenage kid with a staff. And David's like, you're going to attack me with a sword and a spear and a javelin. And everyone's like, uh, (laughs) they've got to be thinking, You did notice that. Okay, we were worried. We thought maybe you hadn't noticed that he's got all those things, considering that you, David, do not have any of those things. But David does not care about this. He's mad at this guy for making the whole army look like cowards. And he shouts at him, I'm going to kill you in the name of the Lord, and then I'll chop off your head and I'll feed you to the birds. And it might have been a better comeback if he looked a little bit scarier. But it does still make Goliath angry. And he starts moving forward in his armor. And David, like, runs closer. He drops his staff to the ground. He gets one stone out of his pouch on his belt. And then he puts the stone in the sling. And he swings it. And he lets it fly. And it hits Goliath right in the forehead. And he drops to the ground 
dead. Stone dead. Stone cold dead. Yes, that's a pun. Okay. But anyway, he's dead. And so then he runs up to the giant and he pulls Goliath's own sword out of the sheath. And he cuts his head off and he holds his head in the air. And the Philistines are like, well... If he wasn't dead before, he is definitely pretty dead now. And they start freaking out. They're not laughing now. So they've been they've been using this giant to scare the entire Israelite army. And now he's been killed by a teenage boy. They turn around and leave their tents and they run away. And then the entire army takes off running after them and chases them all the way back to their own Philistine cities and kills a whole bunch of them. And then they come back. And the tents are still there, so they get all this cool stuff. They get food and supplies and weapons and money and clothes that the Philistines had left in their camp. And everyone's really excited because they don't even have to fight the Philistines now. And that was pretty amazing. And Saul's just shocked. And because uh, David said the Lord would be with him. And then he actually succeeded in killing the giant with one stone. Like, wait one freaking minute. How on earth did that even work? And Saul asks one of his right-hand dudes, wait, 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 who is this kid again? And he doesn't know anything else that Saul doesn't know. And Saul's like, uh, kid, uh, what's your name? David, kid, who's your dad? And David's like, um, Jesse, you met him? After that, Saul just keeps him. And David lives with the king and his family full time. And they all live happily ever after for like probably at least a couple of weeks. You might think that eventually there will be problems here, given that, you know, the Lord's not with Saul anymore, and you'd be right, and I will actually be back next week with Saul's backstory, so be sure to tune in. Now, if you're interested in making a cultural connection between art and the story you just heard, Michelangelo has a famous statue called David that's supposed to represent David when he was a young man, about this age. Uh, I should mention, like, a lot of famous works of art, it shows nudity, so, you know, be forewarned. But if that doesn't bother you or your parents, you can ask your parents to help you look it up. It might be interesting. I will leave you with one final thought to ponder. Would you rather fight one Goliath-sized lion or three lion-sized Goliaths? You can get back to me on Twitter or my Facebook page and let me know what you think. Thanks so much for listening to Bible Stories for Heathen Children. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of the excitement, and please rate and review our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music is Wholesome by Kevin McLeod, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution. Until next time, shine on, Star Child.